But this evening, Will McKee will be preaching, and Will and I are friends. Um, I had the honor of working with Will when I was at Christ the King in Houston, so I'm really grateful to be able to have him participate in our work here at Grace Presbyterian Church tonight. Will is also a seminary student at Covenant Theological Seminary, where both Kyle and I went, and I'm grateful he's able to attend there. And Will is under care of our presbytery, which means that he's a pastor in training. And so I'm really honored, grateful, really thankful that Will's uh, able to share with us tonight. Hi, my name is Will McKee, and I am the Assistant Director of Children's Ministry at Christ the King Presbyterian Church and Pastoral Intern. I had the privilege of working under Pastor Brad for two years while he was at Christ the King, and I'm forever grateful for that time and delighted to be here with you now. The text for our sermon tonight is from Psalm 105. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 8 together. So if you would, grab your Bible, open your Bible app with me. Let's read Psalm 105, verses 1 through 8 together. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell of all His wondrous works. Glory in his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God remains forever. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. May our hearts and our ears be open to hear your message today. In Jesus' name, amen. I love a great story. I love stories. When you think of stories, when you hear that word stories, what do you think of? Maybe your mind goes back to the ancient stories like Homer's Odyssey or the Iliad. Or maybe you're thinking of more you know, modern stories. There have been some great stories from books turned into movies like the Chronicles of Narnia or Harry Potter. Um, for me, when I think of a great modern story, I think of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The first movie came out the Iron Man movie came out when I was in high school, and across 11 years and 23 movies, uh, the thrilling conclusion of the Infinity Saga came in Avengers Endgame. I remember seeing it on opening weekend uh, with tears of joy and sadness mingled together as this great story uh, was coming to an end. And I loved being a spectator in that a great story, uh, and I'm grateful for it. But let's dig a little deeper into stories. What stories do we think that we live in? What stories do you tell yourself about your life? Maybe the story is about success and that you matter only if you're getting the, the right grades or you've got promoted into the right job. Uh, success maybe looks like having a great family or wealth. Maybe that's the story you're telling yourself. Or Maybe the story you're telling yourself is you feel worthless. That no matter what you seem to try in life, everything just seems to come up short. Or maybe you feel great. Maybe the story in your life is 
Um, you know, I think like Dory from Finding Nemo, you just keep swimming, just keep swimming, and everything will be all right. You just keep chugging along. Or maybe you feel that there is no story in life, that life is pointless and aimless. You feel homeless and that there's nothing, nothing there for you. Well, regardless of the story that you're telling yourself or the story you feel like you live in, what if I told you that, as we'll see in the psalm today, uh, there's actually an even better story out there, and that this story is our life-defining story. And we're more than just spectators watching a great story. We actually have a part in it, an integral part of this story. And that the supposed end of this story is actually just the beginning of the best part of our lives. This is the story of a God who created a perfect, sinless world and put humans, put us, in charge, gave us the honor of stewarding that world and reflecting his image. Then the fallen rebellion of humans against that good and perfect world, the redemption of ourselves and the world through Christ and the future glory that is to come. That is our life-defining story, and that story is the gospel. And while it may not be explicit in this passage, we can see the story of redemption in this passage and apply it to the gospel and ultimately to our lives. So here's the whole sermon in, in one sentence. Here's all we're going to be talking about uh, right now. It's God has written the best story ever. We are a part of it. It's our life-defining story, and we are called to rest in it. God has written the best story ever. We are a part of it. It's our life-defining story, and we are called to rest in it. So let's look at this story in front of us. The whole Psalm, of, Psalm 105 is our text that we're going to be looking at. And remember that the Psalms are the prayer and songbook of God's people. If you think back in Old Testament times, God's people was Israel, that nation, um, well, I'll use God's people and Israel interchangeably, thinking about the Old Testament nation of Israel. Uh, and often many of them couldn't read or didn't have Bible texts in front of them. So when they wanted to learn about the world, they would memorize. They would memorize Scripture. The priests would read it out, and they would memorize these words to understand who they were and about the world. So here in Psalm 105, we look at verses 1 through 6. It's an introduction inviting God's people to praise him, praise him for what he's done. 7 and 8, verses 7 and 8 really start that excitement. And then after that, the verses we haven't read really unpacks uh, the story, the redemption of God's people. So I would encourage you again to open your Bibles to Psalm 105 so we can look at this together. Starting with verse 8 through 11, we see God's, the reminder that God establishes his covenant with Abraham to make Abraham a people, a nation of people, they're going to give him land, and he's going to fulfill that many years later. Now remember, a covenant is a kind of promise which is more powerful and binding and more personal and loving than a normal promise. And when we see covenants uh, in the Bible, in Bible times, they were usually involved both sides doing something. Maybe it was a king making a covenant with his people. The people would serve the king, and the king would protect the, their people. Or sometimes there were more evenly. Both sides of the covenant had to do something. Well, spoiler alert, when God makes a covenant with his people, uh, often his people, us, can't fulfill that side, but God ends up doing both. He fulfills his promises, he keeps his promises, and fulfills both sides of the covenant. 
we'll see that more as we go on. So we've seen the covenant established, picking up in verse 12. God kept his people safe, even when they were small, much smaller than the nations around them. Then verse 16, when famine strikes, God sends Joseph ahead to Egypt to protect his people and provide for them for many years. As Israel gets bigger, as this people grows and grows, Egypt makes them slaves, but God appoints Moses and Aaron and uses them to accomplish his mission and do many miracles. And we'll see in verses 26 through 36, the plagues uh, that led to the Exodus. God using Moses and Aaron to do these many miracles, do these many plagues on Egypt, showing Egypt that none of their gods compared to the one true God, the great I Am. In verse 37, God brings Israel out of slavery, and not empty-handed, but with gold and jewelry and treasures. And it's not mentioned here, but when they actually come to the Red Sea, if you remember, it was uh, God parted the Red Sea so that they could walk across on a dry Red Sea road to get towards the Promised Land. But their first step is going through the dry, hot wilderness. Now, it won't be hard to imagine with us in the height of summer that kind of heat, but just let's, uh, let's imagine with me that uh, we're God's people walking for days in the desert. Supplies are running low. Our mouths are feeling dry. We're desperate for a drink from, from a cool stream, even just a, a little trickle of water. Wondering, start thinking if slavery maybe was better back in Egypt. And we always see are rocks and sand. So what does God do? God uses Moses, finds a dry rock, these, all these sandy rocks, and causes not just a little trickle, trickle, but water to flow from that rock. And God provides not just water, but bread and quail and everything else Israel needs for 40 years until they reach the land of nations. So God made a promise to Abraham hundreds of years before, keeps that promise and fulfills it. It's a simple idea, but God accomplishes it in amazing and miraculous ways. So that's the story of Psalm uh, 105. And why is this story important? Well, it talks about real personal redemption for God's people. The psalmist wants us to remember what God has done. Now, if you see, the emphasis on action is almost entirely on God. He might use agents like Moses, Aaron, Joseph, but Israel does nothing to deserve this. We actually see time and time again in the Old Testament how Israel failed to come through on their promises and to do what God has done. But God still does this. God still loves and cares for his people. This passage shows that God's not just a spiritual, distant God in the world, but he actively works in the lives of his people, and he actively works in the world. So this is a story for God's people. Do we have personal redemption stories like that? When I look back on my life, I know I certainly do. When my dad was 40 years old, uh, he was hospitalized with a full blockage uh, in one of his main arteries. It's miraculous that he's still here. How is he still here? Well, he loved to run marathons. And something that science has shown with the low-intensity cardio like my dad would do for his training runs for marathons, those, the low-density cardio workouts are actually the best kind of workouts to boost capillary density 
and the number of capillaries, which capillaries help blood flow between veins and arteries. So while my dad did have a full blockage, the capillaries around his artery had built a bypass to keep him alive. Uh, God gave my father a love of running, and it kept him alive. So he could be a loving husband, a loving father to two sons, uh, and a wonderful grandfather who loves to teach his son to call people, oh yeah, you, yeah, you, you fella over there, and what's that blooming noise? My dad's from Northern Ireland, and so uh, he's thrilled that some of his home country's quirks uh, live on in his grandsons. But it's a good exercise to, to think about as I look back on my life and see the redemption of uh, my father's life through what God has done. Uh, it's good to think of your stories, your family stories, even your church's stories, and see uh, God's faithfulness in there. Now, right now, some of us may be going through uh, hard times, and sometimes it's just hard to see any good in this life. I mean, the fact that I, I can't physically be with you and re recording this um, shows that you know things maybe aren't the way that we would want them to be. And so this is not about um, finding the silver lining or trying to look for the bright side, hunkering down and, and trying to be positive. Uh, sometimes we're called to lament or mourn the, uh, the sadness we in the world. Sometimes we, we need the help uh, outside of ourselves, like a friend, pastor, a counselor, to walk through the hard times in life. So this isn't hunker down or try better and be better. What this passage is a call to do, though, is to see and know the truth. As Francis Shaver called, the true truth about God and what he has done for you, for us, uh, in Jesus Christ, and to rest in that. So even as times are hard, as God's people, we can look back at the Bible and see the redemption of our people in stories like this. As Christians, these are our stories as well. They are stories because they are our people. So this is a great redemption's personal redemption story, but there's an even greater one at play here. As God is gracious to give us personal redemption stories, it points to the greater redemption story of the gospel. God gave his people personal stories to cling on to, like bringing Israel out of Egypt, during the, or bringing them to Egypt during the famine, bringing them out of Egypt. But all of these stories that he gave them were small potatoes compared to the work that Jesus accomplished in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And just like us, Israel did nothing to deserve these little stories. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But as God was gracious to bring Israel into his greater redemption story, we are a part of this story too. So let's take a look back at this passage and see how we're a part of this greater redemption story. And that this is our life-defining story. So the psalm was originally for Old Testament Israel, that nation. But it points to a greater redemption story, and it points to more people than just Old Testament Israel. So we look at verse 3. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Well, who are those people? Well, it's not just Israel. It's those who ask, who ask for hearts to seek the Lord. We look in Psalm 51. It's a great example of King David asking God for a clean heart. He's committed egregious sins, failed his nation and failed God, and he asks God to create a clean heart in him. In his life on earth, Jesus even said, Ask, and it shall be given to you. We too can ask the Lord 
seek for it, and he will provide it. So we are the people who, with hearts that seek the Lord, as long as we ask. Then in verse 6, the offspring of Abraham, the children of Jacob. Well, who are those people? Neither of those are my dad's name. Maybe it's you, and, and that would be great, but I'm certainly not Jewish. Who is this for? Well, Paul reminds us in Galatians that if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. We are all a part of God's promises. It's not just a separate people, but we are all a part of God's promises. And this, this promise of eternal life through Christ defines our lives. Just as there is this larger redemption story, there is a larger audience than just, than just God's people in the Old Testament. We are a part of the great redemption story. So we've established that the great redemption story is the gospel, and we've established that we are a part of it, so what are we supposed to do with all this? We are called to rest in it. We're called to rest in it. This is a story of hope. Let's go back to the stories I mentioned at the beginning. So we don't have to live in the story of success making you matter. It's not your, your grades, your job, how well your family looks. That isn't the story that has to define you. You don't have to feel worthless because you are God's people and you are valuable to God. You don't have to worry about writing your own perfect story. No matter how many times you mess up, feeling like you don't belong, you do. God has written your story and has you in his grand story sealed by his covenant, his love, that promise that's more powerful, more personal and loving than any promise um, that, can be, that we can do. So this story helps us think and process the other stories uh, being shared around the world as well. We, I mentioned fiction earlier, but think about you cultural narratives. We might hear stories on the news right now of um, you know, racism, who is experiencing it, who isn't, or equality, uh, who needs more rights, who, which people should have power, Maybe there's even more subtle stories about you know, money and material things bringing you happiness. Or going back to those stories, you know, achieving success is about um, getting the great, best grades, going to the best schools, being a part of the best companies, having the perfect family. Or the story of you know, just be you, however you define that. All these stories try to define your life. And some of these stories may have some truth in them but they cannot be your ultimate resting place. They're real issues. I don't mean to belittle them or brush them aside, but what if over all these stories, we rest in a better story? It's the old, old story with new mercies every morning. It's the story where all sad things come untrue. It's the story of all people, lost sinners broken in a fallen world where poverty, corruption, anger, and evil seem to leave no room for hope. So in this story, God the Father intervenes. He sends the ultimate hero, Jesus, who has all the power in the world and more, and he freely gives it up, dying on the cross for us, paying the penalty that we are supposed to pay, and being resurrected on the third day, defeating sin and death, saving the world from that ultimate poverty, corruption, anger, and evil, then he ascends and leaves the Holy Spirit so that we, now waiting until Christ comes again, can see the slivers of beauty, that original created world, because 
the loving Father created us and cares for us is still loving us today. The hero continues his work from the throne, saving people, freeing the world from evil, and bringing a new world where earth and the heavens meet. Justice and righteousness will reign, and it will be full of joy, and it will never end. Brothers and sisters, this is the best story ever. We are a part of it. It's our life-defining story. It's the one God wrote from the beginning. Do you believe it? If so, we should read it. We should memorize it too. We should have it written on our hearts. As God's people, this psalm is not just for Old Testament Israel, but it's our book too. Look at what resting looks like in these passages, those first couple verses. Verse 1, we make known his deeds. We tell of his wondrous works. We remember the miracles, the judgments he uttered. That's what resting in this passage looks like. We can remember that Jesus secured eternal life for us, and this story is our story now. The only place to find rest is in the one who said, Come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The only place that will satisfy is a drink from the cool, refreshing fountain of living water or tasting the bread of life. So there are many good stories out there, and I think we should read those. I think that's important. We should listen to the cultural narratives. We should understand what's shaping society today. But above all those, we should read, know, love the best story, our life-defining story. We should enjoy it, share it with family and friends. Stories are meant to be told, so let's share this story, let's rest in this wonderful story until we reach the final chapter of our lives and begin the story of eternity. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a part of our individual stories, and even better, you've written a greater story for us, and you love and care for us and are redeeming us. Pray that we would remember that this story, the gospel story, is our life-defining story, and let that shape us for this week, the days ahead, the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.